Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Christ is born. Glorify him. Welcome to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. On this Sunday, following the birth, the nativity of our Lord God, Jesus Christ in the flesh, the incarnation of the second person in the Trinity, a glorious time of year, the time in which the Prince of Peace comes into the world. But ironically, this is contrasted by death, violence, and bloodshed. The light comes into what you're talking about. We're killed at the same time that we celebrate and observe the miracle of the story in the book of Daniel. I thought it was, once again, another testimony of how timeless the Bible is, how it is our story. Absolutely. And they held on fast to their faith. They did not renounce Jesus Christ. When ISIS terrorists asked them to profess that Muhammad is the true prophet, they said, we've always loved Yeshua, Yeshua for Jesus. And they went to their death. And Father, it's important for people to realize that the way these terrorists kill these people when they behead them, they use a knife that is just kitchen knife. They don't use a, a sword to make it painless and a sudden death, but they put them through that torture, that suffering. And these children, uh, really professing Christ, they died. You know, Juliana, it's interesting you give that insight, which is precisely why we're so fortunate to have you on our program, is because when I've seen those pictures on TV, not the actual beheading, but you know, they show on the news, the terrorist standing there with a knife, yes. that always struck me. It's a, I thought to myself, what a small knife. How can they do that to somebody with that small knife? But here you're saying it's purposeful. Yes, it's purposeful, and it is really to put fear in the hearts and minds of the world. And as you see, these terrorist acts have come to the West. There was the beheading in Oklahoma. There were some standoffs and some murders that happened in Sydney. And the list goes on and on. So in a way, they are succeeding in putting fear in the hearts and minds of the world. When we read the famous story of the slaughter of the innocents in Bethlehem, the total, the scholars tell us, that the total of that was 14,000. Now compare that to the number of suffering Christians in the Middle East today. What are some of those numbers like? Well, you know, this. let me give you a little bit of a background about the suffering that Christians throughout the whole region have suffered, uh, have gone through since the rise of Islam. 
for the last 1400 years, since the rise of Islam until mid 1800s, the Christians in the Middle East have gone through persecution for every 45 years. And since mid 1800 till today, it's every generation father. In Iran, when I fled Iran, in the 1980s, we had about 120,000 Assyrian Christians there. Today, we have only 10,000 left. Everyone has fled Iran. Mm. In Iraq, prior to 2003, there were 1.5, 1.6 million Christians there. And it is important to note that Iraq is the ancestral homeland for Assyrians, also known as Chaldeans and Syriacs. Mm. And for these people to be homeless, to be displaced, over a million of them today are displaced. There are many who've been beheaded, crucified, uh, poisoned through their nostrils and, you know, missing. And they, do, have the, been, they do this even to babies, to children, absolutely, babies, absolutely. Uh, uh, clergy, priests, everybody. Yes, and you know, through since since ISIS attacked in June, I mean, ISIS has been at work as ISI in the beginning. Mm -hmm. If you recall the Our Lady of Salvation attack mm -hmm. on All Saints oh, yes. Day, well. twenty ten, yeah. mm -hmm. that was ISI. That was Islamic mm. State of Iraq, oh. and now these people call themselves ISIS or ISIL, uh, mm -hmm. Islamic State of uh, Iraq and Syria, and you, you know they they have been at work for a long time. But when they started upping the attack in this year, in 2014, it, it is not only, they don't only kill by, by, this, by knives or by execution, you know, in an execution style. They're killing babies as the kids are now being born, as children are being born in camps, mm -hmm. in, uh, you know, in church pews. There's, there are hundreds of people, thousands of people that are living in um, uh, on church pews, on church floors, they're sleeping in schools. And I just got reports on Friday that there are kids, children, newborn, dying because of hunger, because of mm -hmm. cold. So ISIS not only executes and kills, it kills indirectly by causing mm -hmm. people to be displaced. Yes. And also, Juliana, as you mentioned, you have people that suddenly, they could have been professional people like anybody listening out there to, in our audience, that suddenly find themselves homeless without medicine, without sanitary things, without basic, just basic commodities. And these people are numbering in the, what, hundreds of thousands? Yes. Prior to 2003, as I said, they were about 1.5, 1.6 million. Today, we have about 450,000 Christians left in Iraq, 200,000 of whom are displaced. And you said these were professionals at some point. Father, when the church bells ring in mm -hmm. our beautiful country, America, it spreads the good news. It invites people to come to mm -hmm. church. But in Iraq, in the northern part of Iraq, when church bells were ringing back in July and, and June of 2014, they were warning people that ISIS was coming. Mm. So overnight, oh. overnight people had to flee. And uh, many of them who missed the church bells, they woke up to ISIS in their neighborhood. Oh. And many of them were locked in their homes, died mm -hmm. of starvation. Mm. There were so many fathers and sons who we know, we see their pictures, who died of starvation. There are so many who fled, but as they were fleeing, Father, they were stopped, stripped from all their belongings, um, their cell phones, their shoes even, their, their bags they had packed. They even took their cars from them. This is a human tragedy unfolding in front of our eyes, and the Western church is silent.
a human tragedy, humanitarian tragedy, right? Yes, absolutely. So this is not only a Judeo-Christian issue. This is not only a Christian issue. This should be, I mean, I'm shocked, shocked that human rights organizations are completely silent about this. Yes. Yes, Juliana, that's a very good point, and I'm glad our audience is listening. And once again, you're going to hear this exclusively here in Light of the East and with our guest, Juliana that this situation is not just, oh, it's just a news report from people in a far-off land in the Middle East, and meantime we go back to watching our football game, playing with our video games and our iPods. That's not what this is. This is a global concern. This is a global event that is spreading, and the seeds of it are here already, as you said. And we need to wake up. You know, These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. As I always say, when we receive the body and blood of Christ, we go to church and we receive the Eucharist, We are uniting ourselves in a very intimate way with every Christian who receives that same body and blood of Christ. There is no such thing as these are far-off people. These people become our brothers and sisters, especially at the moment we receive Holy Communion and all become bonded in one body, that one body of Christ. So we have an obligation. Plus, as a nation, we've been involved in the Middle East, of course, in the wars and so on in Iraq. Either we've done things or not done things, whatever, we're involved by things we haven't done and should do. We're involved by things we have done. I'm not talking about like all just bad things or I'm not second-guessing everything. Just the fact that we have been involved there. And so we have an obligation to remain involved in in the way that will help this humanitarian tragedy, not just to think of it as something far away and remote from us. And once again, we're, we're living this, this biblical event. And we're living it also another way, too. You know, we slaughter innocents all the time in this country through abortion. So it seems like the earth, the earth is just flowing with blood. Innocent blood. Innocent blood, either in the womb or outside the womb. And Juliana, your website is? IraqiChristianRelief.org, IraqiChristianRelief.org. Also, please like us on Facebook, Iraqi Christian Relief Council. When we come back, we're going to talk more with our special guest, Juliana Tamarazi, from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to byzantinecatholic.com. That's byzantinecatholic.com. Click on the radio button and then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Welcome to a St. Nicholas Minute. What is a saint anyway? Although I was imprisoned for seven years during a terrible persecution of the church under the pagan Roman emperor Diocletian, I'm one of the first saints honored not because I suffered a bloody martyrdom like St. Peter or St. Paul. I was called a saint because people began to say, Nicholas loves Jesus so much that you can see a lot of Jesus in him. And that's what a saint is, someone who wants to become more and more like Jesus who is the light of the world each and every day of our lives. One day when a class of parochial school students were in church, their pastor asked the assembly of children, what is a saint? Then a first grade girl pointed up to a stained glass image of a saint saying, saints are those people who let the light in. And so as we celebrate the birth of Christ, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Christ is born, glorify him. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Sanctus, 
You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the sacred liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you Welcome back to Light of the East. I'm Father Thomas Loya, your host. And once again, Christ is born and glorify him. And I say that with great joy, even though we're talking about something very dark, actually something red in color. We're talking about the shedding of blood. The earth, it seems, is bathed in the blood of innocent people, innocent martyrs. And here to talk about it, someone who knows it firsthand, is Juliana Tamarazzi from the Iraqi Christian Relief Council. And once again, to help them out, we go to their website, iraqichristianrelief.org, iraqichristianrelief.org. Juliana, we were talking about the immensity of this human tragedy. And tell us about what your organization has done. How successful is it? How difficult? How challenging? What do you need? It is almost seven years ago when we began this journey, Father, and you um, in very st- in this very studio gave us the first opportunity to really spread the word about the persecution. We have been doing this work for seven years, and we are a 501c3 organization, so all the donations are tax deductible. We send the money for food, shelter, medicine, clean water. Each food parcel feeds a family of four to five for about two weeks. And a lot of things that are packed in these food parcels are dried food, so all they have mm-hmm. to do is to add some water to it, and they are able to consume them. Father, the tragedy is so big, it's so uh, monumental that what we do is, it seems like it's never enough. That's why Mm -hmm. we constantly appeal to you and others to give us these opportunities to talk about the situation. We have been supporting Sisters of St. Catherine of Siena Mm -hmm. in the northern part of Iraq. They are displaced themselves from a town called Garakush. Mm -hmm. We have helped the Assyrian Aid Society of Iraq. We have helped the Assyrian Church of the East Relief Organization and other Catholic organizations on the ground in Iraq. In fact, just last, um, about three weeks ago or so, we sent another $25,000 to the nuns that we Mm -hmm. just talked about. And they let us know there is finally some good news that is attached Mm-hmm. to this money that has reached them, which is good. You know, we talk always about the devastation, but mm-hmm. when we hear some good news, it is really uplifting and encouraging mm-hmm. for us. So I uh, bring this plea forward. I ask your listeners to become disciples of Christ during this time of Christmas season to please, please give to those who are voiceless. I am the voice for those who don't have a voice that they can come on this radio, use this platform, and talk to you. I'm bringing their faces, I'm bringing their names to you. When we send the aid, what we receive back is not only a report of what has been purchased, but also names and a lot of pictures and videos of people receiving this aid. So it's critical when your listeners to give to organizations that don't have a lot of overhead costs, that know exactly who is being helped on the ground, and we do just that. Juliana, how is it that these people are able to do this work? Does does ISIS know about it? Are they in danger? Is ISIS coming after these people? How can they do do this kind of work? 
Thank you. Very poignant question. The aid that we send goes to Erbil and Dahuk. There are these two large towns in the northern part of Iraq that is fairly safe. Mm. Uh, Erbil was going to fall, but the airstrikes stopped that. So mm. the airstrikes stopped the approach of ISIS to city wow. of Erbil. So mm-hmm. a lot of these people that have fled the smaller mm-hmm. towns or Mosul, for example, mm-hmm. and Mosul, by the way, was Nineveh. Yes. And Jonah was buried in Nineveh in Mosul, whose mm. tomb has been destroyed, was destroyed in July of 2014. But uh, when we send the money, we send it to the bank in Dahoka Erbel, and these organizations collect the money from those banks mm-hmm. in those cities. And these people are living in schools and churches and in camps and in um, community centers, and they go out there. And what the beauty of what we do is when big organizations come in and help, for example, you know, there's so much bureaucracy attached to large organizations yes. when they distribute aid. Mm-hmm. But because we're working with smaller organizations, and they know families, mm-hmm. we give to everybody, even those people who are living in homes, five, six families, father live in one or two rooms, and they're Mm. not in a community center per se. When large organizations come in and help, there were 70 families that I know of that were not helped for two months. And as soon as we learned, we sent them the aid. Mm. These 70 families had not been helped because the large organization said, as long as you don't live in these community centers, you're not going to be helped. Mm. So so what people were, were dis- those displaced people were doing were they were taking food and blankets of their own and they were sharing it with these other family members, mm. 70 mm. families. So, you know, I mean, it's just the situation is so monumental. And for me, as the child of Nineveh, this is a tragedy, not only a, a religious tragedy, it's a national tragedy because we're about 4 million of us left that still speak Aramaic, mm. but we're on the verge of extinction. We're being ethnically cleansed and as, as Assyrians, also known as Chaldeans and Syriacs. We're being cleansed religiously. And when we come to the West, we we lose ourselves through assimilation. Can, can you compare, the, the as I'm listening to you speak, your experience growing up, as you mentioned about the persecution every 45 years, now even more often and so on. That's something we don't know about. That's totally, as they say today, not on our radar screen here in America, especially young people growing up. Can you contrast the perspectives between young people or people in America with your people? I mean, what must this do to your perspective on life? How do you, how do you live this? How do you survive this? How do you deal with this? What does it do to you? How does it change your perspective? How does it influence how you see things? That's a painful question you just asked, because you just put your finger on a very deep wound, Mm -hmm. national wound for us. Uh, I'll speak on my own family Mm -hmm. tragedy that happened in my family back in uh, World War One during World War One, and also what I see today. My great grandfather died in a camp because of the Turkish and Kurdish assault against the Christians in the Middle East during World War One, Many of your listeners have heard of the Armenian genocide, mm-hmm. but the Assyrians were also killed. Mm-hmm. Two-thirds of my nation was slaughtered during World War One, and really no one talks about it. My great-grandmother was raped and killed by Kurds. Her mm-hmm. two daughters were raped and killed by Kurds. So for us as a family, we it's, it becomes a part of our DNA. Mm-hmm. We've seen so much bloodshed and slaughter, and we've always been on the run, Father. Mm-hmm. Father, myself personally, I love genealogy, mm-hmm. um, but I don't have too many heirlooms to hold on to because mm-hmm. my great-grandparents fled Iran. They went to mm-hmm. Russia. Mm-hmm. From Russia, they fled back to Iran because Stalin was 
doing his ethnic cleansing. Mm. And then I fled Iran. So we've been on the run constantly. And as far as Christians of Iraq are concerned, they've been persecuted, as I just talked about, every generation now for since mid-1800s. So... You know, when the lights go off, when the dust settles, when the media doesn't talk about these beheadings anymore, Mm -hmm. what is left behind is the trauma Mm -hmm. that is embedded in these families. They start not trusting their government, Mm -hmm. Iraqi government. They're very distrustful of the Kurdish government. They Mm -hmm. don't trust their neighbors. They've told me, we don't trust the neighbors anymore. Mm -hmm. We don't know who to trust. We don't know who's our friend. They say when Americans and Europeans come to these camps, they come in with their big folders. They come in, they're blonde hair, blue eyed, among all us Middle Eastern looking people. They come in to us when they come, we think the aid is on its way. Mm. The help is on its way. They come in, they take information, and they leave for weeks upon weeks mm. while our children are dying and the aid doesn't get to us. So they don't know who to trust. And mm. that's why when they come to the States, those who are lucky to come to the States, they say, you know, we are so broken. We're so traumatized. We just want to barely exist and breathe and they would just be left alone. My Assyrian nation was a thriving nation once. We were great doctors, engineers, philosophers. And today, unfortunately, I'm worried about the future of my nation. Yes, because with their conditions, they can't have access to education. Exactly. And without education, that breeds poverty and breeds frustration, and they, they can become violent themselves or and, and desperate themselves. So it just keeps perpetuating. You know, I'll tell you, the... One thing that stops them from becoming violent is Jesus Christ. Their faith in Christianity does not allow them to strap themselves with a vest filled with bombs to detonate themselves. In fact, somebody told me once, they said, if your men would strap themselves with bombs and would detonate themselves and kill innocent lives, they would get attention like the Palestinian terrorists Mm -hmm. do. But we don't do that. Um, Instead, we become introvert and, um, you know, this this trauma, Mm -hmm. we just try to live as well as we can, but still, but it's the faith. It's the faith that keeps us going. And during these tough times, when I talk to the people on the ground, Father, believe me when I tell you the first thing they say when I say, how are you, which is a ridiculous question to ask, <laughs> but, you know, for, you know, sentiment, how are you? They say, thanks be to God. They always thank the Lord. They, the first thing that comes out of their mouth. And these are our modern day martyrs. Again, you may wonder why we talk about such a dark and actually red, blood red subject during this Christmas season, this season filled with joy, because that's what it's all about. This, what you're hearing, is what it's all about. Remember, Christ, the light of the world, came into the darkness so that we would have hope. And this is what Juliana is saying her people cling on to, the hope that can only come because Christ came. This is Christmas. This is what this whole event is all about. All the decorations, all the gift-giving, all the food and all the baking and all the celebration, it's not just for its own sake. It's for the fact that we can cling to a hope to the Prince of Peace no matter what. And if there's any example on earth of Christmas, it's the people that Juliana represent, those people of Iraq, Syria, these regions where the Christians are being persecuted, and yet they still greet you by saying, thanks be to God. This is what Christmas is, and this is our message here today on Light of the East. And Juliana, thank you for bringing this message of the true Christmas to all of us here at Light of the East. God bless you and all your people, and we pray for you, and we'll do whatever we can 
on Light of the East for your people. Again, it's iraqichristianrelief.org. If they help her out, iraqichristianrelief.org. I am Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. Christ is born. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the Light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh.